Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're well and safe wherever you are. Today would normally see the C21 team battling through fuzzy heads to put together a news feed after a final night at MIP TV in Cannes while frantically packing up suitcases and trying to make it to the airport in time to get home. International TV distributors likewise would be waving goodbye, having hopefully wrapped a week of brisk trade and dismantling their stands till next time. None of that this year. MIP TV was already dealing with the challenge of some major names like ITV Studios, Fremantle and Banerjee pulling out before the coronavirus pandemic hit. But the cancellation of the market for many, plus myriad other events, has intensified efforts to rethink the way in which they're doing business. As they adapt to disruption in the programme supply chain, an annual sales calendar in tatters, and broadcast clients forced to tear up their schedules. If you're a regular in Cannes, then you may well know the three execs we have coming up on today's show, talking about all these issues. Ludo Defour is Senior Vice President of International Co-Productions and Sales at Canadian Factual Specialist Blue Ant International. Lilla Hurst is Joint Managing Director of UK Boutique Sales and Funding Agency Drive. We'll be hearing from both of those in a moment, but first, ITV Studios Managing Director of Global Distribution, Ruth Berry, spoke with C21's Carolina Kaminska. It is undoubtedly unprecedented times and um you know not something that's easy to prepare for or, the, or sort of an environment that we anticipated working in. but i think from from our point of view at itv studios and the distribution side you know i think we've we've always prided ourselves on being agile and and, and sort of solutions orientated and dare i say it's somewhat sort of scrappy in terms of adapting to markets and i think this has been our ultimate challenge really which was moving an entire workforce to work from home and I for one am super proud with how they've adjusted adapted are still um, hungry chomping at the bit to be working spending time with their clients and and selling our great shows so I think on the, on the face of it I'm you know I'm, I'm really proud and impressed with how we're adapting and that's allowed us to really get engaged with our clients and where they're at because I think one thing about having a global business right now is that you realize quite quickly that different territories around the world are at really different stages with the virus working from home and and their, the, you know the way their companies are adapting to and it's been fascinating in that the day that our our business um, in the UK moved to work from home was the same day that our office in Hong Kong actually went back to work uh, in the office for the first time in, in a number of months. So, you know, we're really trying to find that pattern on the global scale. And I think what we've seen so far is that our clients in the US actually are probably the, the, the first movers in terms of really starting to look at how they fill their schedules um, with, with the gaps that they now have from shows that are not in production or sporting events like the Olympics that won't now come through or football or whatever it might be. So the American clients are definitely at the forefront of, of filling um, content slots and our US team are, are actively building those schedules with the clients. Um, I think Asia have been going through this for quite a number of months now. So, uh, you know, it's interesting. It, it's not new to them and, and the rest of our business around the world is actually learning from quite a few of the trends that our Hong Kong team in Asia have seen over the last few months, which has been really helpful, I think, in preparing the rest of us for some of the, uh, the sort of challenges that our clients are facing and how best we can help 
solve them. I think the the speed at which productions have hit challenges in in Europe has been really fast and our our European partners are still really working out what that means for them and and I think one of the other interesting sort of advantages almost for us is that that sitting alongside a, a network business and a broadcaster of our own we do get to see the insides I guess of of how the broadcasters are having to adjust and adapt their schedules really quickly and the thought processes that they're going through in terms of do we put repeats where do we put movies what about family content and I think that's quite interesting actually knowing that kids are home from school is is how you beef up some of the the family friendly content and we're seeing our buyers also you know pick up a demand for that so I think it's um it's a really interesting time that we're navigating I feel like we're well placed to be able to help support our partners um we are again fortunate so fortunate to have an incredible depth and breadth of a library with over sort of 46,000 hours of programming and actually we're also really fortunate that many of our new dramas that we were expecting this year are already heavily progressed in becoming available so quite a few of the titles that we discussed at our drama festival which feels like a long time ago but really wasn't in mid-February uh, are actually still you know expected and, and we're out selling now so I think the, the beauty of, of the, the slate that we've got in our portfolio is that we've got some really big tentpole shows that would fit well in primetime schedules for broadcasters, you know, the likes of Honor, or Singapore Grip, Little Birds, the, um, there's the, the, the window of Bodyguard is also available for the free-to-air broadcasters now. A show like Noughts and Crosses, which is doing really well uh, on the BBC at the moment, indexing extremely highly with a younger demographic and BAME audiences, which I think is is absolutely fantastic. And we're really proud to have something so, so different uh, and with, with a really strong appeal to audiences that, that you know, many people find hard to reach. So I think we're really proud of, of Noughts and Crosses, which is, is obviously as on air at the moment is available around the world imminently too. We're also, um, we talked a bit about our drama festival as well as some of the fabulous European drama that we've been working on and particularly through our studios partners um, within the, the ITV Studios family. So, you know, shows like Balthazar, which have been a huge hit for TF1 in France, that, that's available and, and selling really well. Voiceless coming from our friends Catlea in Italy, along with Petra, which are, are, are both strong performers in their markets and uh, out there for, for um, available to buy now. Um, in Belle Histoire, which is doing really well as well at the moment, having just launched in France, which uh, is, is sort of inspired by Cold Feet here in the UK. And then, you know, that's before we dip into our enormous catalogue as well going back to the wonderful dramas of you know Agatha Christie, Poirot, Marple, we've got Prime Suspect, we've got Endeavour. So I think all in all we're in a strong position. I think understanding our clients' needs is is the primary focus. I think that that the time frame at which their needs is evolving is is not all coming at the same time. So for us it's navigating that with the client base that's also really important. And what would you say that your overall ambitions are for the shows? Where do you hope for, for each of them to, to end up? Yeah, I mean, great question. I think if you'd asked me that question four weeks ago, it probably would have been a different answer to one I'd give today, which is, it's it's hard to say. I think um, what we're absolutely seeing from clients during this sort of, you know, very um, abnormal period is that 
that all, all bets are off and I think people are, will be more experimental in the shows that they buy I think um, as they you know lose some of their own original commissions they will look more broadly at content from the, the, from tape um, that they can put into their schedules so I think that these that these shows oddly for us will end up hitting a much broader range of buyers than we had initially thought so you know dare I say it I'm, I'm actually quite excited about that because it's nice to open up the playing field a little bit broader where I think that you know we were starting to narrow on on what shows appeal to whom and who we knew would have been an obvious buyer for a show I think what we'll see now over the next couple of, of weeks really is that people will come in and, and buy things that, that maybe we thought they wouldn't have done before but uh, they're all looking for slightly different things based on where their schedule is settling uh, knowing that productions um, will be you know delayed and, and it's live and it's evolving right for example I was chatting to, to some, some guys in Sweden today and Sweden is still in production uh, with a lot of shows and they're anticipating that that starts to slow down over the coming weeks but so as yet I think if you're scheduling your channels in Sweden you don't quite know what is going to make it onto your schedule or not over the next six months and depending on what falls in and out you will then make programming decisions around those that you can't necessarily make until you know where the dust settles so i think that the, the programming schedules are absolutely evolving on a daily basis at the moment um, and looking for complementary content that sits alongside things that they do have you know will vary based on what they don't have broadly i think will will appeal to a lot more broader buyers than we've seen before we've really quickly adapted to an online environment as well so we've done um we did a carbon neutral factual screening um that we created online and uh, the results we've had actually have been fantastic i'm really delighted with how buyers are engaging with online screenings um and the the, the sort of route to market that's taking and we've just done um we had a Tokyo festival planned where the team were hosting an event in Tokyo with all of our Japanese buyers, which rapidly became a, an online festival. And again, that's been absolutely brilliant. So what we're seeing is a lot of activity moving online. We've really started to, well, we've already ha always had a fantastic website um, in the itvstudios.com website and focused on investing in the technology behind that over the last couple of years. So where we can't do face-to-face, -face, we're absolutely still connecting in person through online pre-records, live streams, um, and being putting events online, which, which is showing um, some really strong results. So I think my big takeaway from that is that, that irrespective of, of um, you know, the fact we've been investing in, in moving into new ways of working over time, by the end of this crisis we will see a different way of working that we never could have imagined and it's really going to leapfrog us in a way that that i guess we couldn't have happened unless we were really forced so i think it's there's going to be a lot of great innovation coming out of that and what what the innovation that we're already doing i'm i'm really excited and proud of yeah and that that's something that i've heard quite a lot of in the last week you know obviously i mean it's a natural transition really isn't it that now people can't be meeting face to face that everybody's communicating online I think that this could perhaps be the start of a bit more of a, an online revolution I guess I mean when things go back to normal 
do you think that we might be seeing more more things happening more of you know online rather than in person it's hard to say isn't it i think the one thing i will say is normal will be a different normal you know i don't think things will ever quite return to what we've known them to be before so things there will be a new normal um, and i think it will have a different combination of online of a lot more video and, and already i'm seeing that instead of picking up the phone people are video calling uh you know so even voice has moved into visual really really quickly and i think it's important that people are in touch and i think certainly during a time where people's health is compromised at the moment it's just really great to see people's faces and check that they look fine <laughs> you know <laughs> there is there is this sort of wonderful <laughs> industry that we're in actually that that you know we've all been in it a lot of us have been in it for quite a long time and we're really close to our partners and our buyers and and our producers and there is a real camaraderie and and sense of just checking in and making sure people are okay so it's funny we almost feel closer than ever yet we can't actually touch them and and, and because everyone's going through it in a different pace as well and i think people are intrigued to know well okay well, what are you doing and how are you handling this and what stage are you at and so it's it's fascinating, but there is definitely a, a camaraderie that is um, that's really impressive in our industry. Ruth Berry from ITV Studios. Another familiar face from Cannes is Lilla Hurst, Joint Managing Director of UK boutique sales and funding agency Drive, who was previously a co-pro and acquisition specialist for Channel 5, RDF International and TVF Distribution. C21's Clive Whittingham asked her how her company was dealing with the situation. Well, I think that the, the initial impact is just simply on a sort of, it's, it's an infrastructure, on our inv- reorganisation of our infrastructure. That's first and foremost what we're just dealing with is, is, is how we are running our processes and systems and our day-to-day business in, in the, this environment, both for ourselves or working from home, but also with our clients. It's, it's all still uh, a brave new world for us in that respect. And then in, in terms of business, I guess we haven't, we haven't we, we've seen some signs of impact. We're starting to see some signs of impact, but it still feels quite early. We're, I think we're lucky because we're a lean and nimble business that we can perhaps adapt more quickly to these situations, but it feels a little bit too early to say what long-term impact it has yet. We've been talking um, about how this could be of a benefit to distributors because presumably all original production is now going to go on hold, which will then leave gaps in schedule, which will then need filling sure. with finished tape. I mean, you're, you've got a, you're sort of a financer and a distributor at the same time. So is that what you're anticipating? We, yes. I mean, we had, I'd say last week, we certainly had some emails from, from broadcasters saying, right, what have you got? And we were always almost, you know, at that point before things felt as serious as they do now, we were almost joking that, that distribution is the pr- proverbial loo paper and, you know, <laughs> everyone's trying to stack their shelves with, with, with finished shows. Um, I think that this week we're seeing a mix. We're seeing channels saying our ad revenues have already been hit so dramatically that first and foremost, we have to look at what we've already got in our inventory. Can we perhaps extend those licenses further? Can we do more repeats? So that seems to be 
the immediate reaction, um, then certainly a handful of conversations I've had so far have been leaning into uh, looking at more acquisitions, certainly from the fourth quarter onwards, because they feel that's when they're going to really start feeling it. And yes, but I do, I do feel that we are perhaps in a better position to survive the storm than other areas of the industry. Obviously, we lost uh, MIP TV, and and it just seems that all events are going to go by the wayside for at least the next couple of months, if not beyond. So, what effect does uh, losing MIP TV, LA screenings, and things like that have on have on you? Well, it, I mean, I guess at the moment it just feels like it slightly upset the natural rhythm of our year. We've all become very accustomed to building up to these events and our, our you know, the, the production of our catalogues revolves around these things. Um, and, and, and so we're adapting to that. We, I mean, we're very lucky that we live in, in the era that we live in. It's, it's very straightforward to be able to produce a digital catalogue with links to all of your shows that you can readily distribute to all of your buyers. As you know, we've had different organisations from C21 to uh, Read um, offering up different, or programme buyer offering up different options uh, for, for distributors to load their catalogues and their programming. And so I think we're all just leaning into our digital options far more heavily, which that I think is no bad thing. I think it's actually really good for us as a business to be thinking, you know, what, what could we be doing better in this space? And, and we're, we're exploring lots of other options other than the obvious digital catalogue at the moment. We're, we're exploring other options as well. So I guess we're just going to be doing more of that. I guess that uh, it's quite easy to stay, I'm, I'm presuming here, is it quite easy to stay connected with the, the buyers that you've dealt with before and yes. have regular custom with? Is the, the pinch going to come if this goes on for a long period of time, meeting new meeting new people, if you see what I mean? Yeah, look, I mean, I think in the short term, it's all about communication. And we're finding that it, it's very important right now that we we're communicating with with our producers effectively our supply chain and that we're there for them because we feel that they are feeling this more than we are in in the short term they certainly are and that the buyers it's very important for us to speak to them at the moment just because otherwise we're just you know we, we don't really know what's going on it's very important to reach out to them and, and to actually find out what the conversation is that they're currently having with their colleagues and where they are with 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 their strategy so that we can inform our our, our producers um but you're right that that's and and i think also everyone feels they need that right now it's a it's an incredibly sociable business and i think everyone has a kind of a, a, a very visceral need for communication right now just to sort of share how they're feeling about the virus and how their respective countries are responding to it, let alone what the industry is doing. I think in the long term, yeah, you're right. How how do we get to meet these new contacts? How do we how do we see these people that we've never seen before? And again, you know, the only thing we can we can look to right now is 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 the digital environment and and, and the various opportunities that that is offering up. There's been murmurings as the um, as the green agenda has has sort of proliferated over the past couple of years. There's been murmurings about how television, you know, flying around the world to to see people at events all the time, you know, big posh hotels and always on aeroplanes and whatever. It's not the most sustainable business in the world. Do you see as we 
take digital options to get through this. Do you see any permanent changes in the way that we do business? Come, or do you think once it's all over, we'll just be back on the plane? I would be amazed if there weren't permanent changes. Look, I think we all know that that MIP TV was on on rocky rocky ground anyway, and we were sent we were sending a reduced team to the event anyway. So I do think that there will be certain events that perhaps we tackle in a different way, more moving forward. Not all of them, but but certainly uh, some of them. Yeah, I think it's inevitable. So you're the other, as well as distribution, the other part of your business is putting funding together and co-productions. What impact do you see on that that funding supply for, for things like that? So that very much relates to the type of production right now. We have certain projects that we have been raising finance for that rely heavily on uh, international filming uh, and, you know, multiple locations. Uh, and then we have others that are more locally produced, archive-led. Uh, clearly, the former is is on very well. It's just it's it's very precarious at the moment and is on pause. You know, no no one can really continue with the those shoots. Whereas the latter is looking like a very viable option for a number of of partners. And do you see um, do you see different impact for for say the broadcasters uh, as opposed to the streamers? Are there any sort of may, gonna, are there going to be big winners and losers here, or is it, is everybody in the same? But I mean, people are going to be watching more screen time. I mean, I've been binge watching all all week already. But I mean, I think the thing the mutual the mutual loss will be supply chain. You know, ultimately, if they were relying on programming that involved required shooting in various locations all around the world then naturally they're going to take a hit on that and there are going to be delays you know channels will see a reduction in ad revenue streamers it's going to be really i think some streamers may well benefit you know it looks as though disney plus will is going to be okay we're going to have all these kids at home you know it may well be that the disney plus subscription benefits in this situation i suspect there could be other streamers whose subscription is dropped in the process because household incomes are, are may well be taking a, a hit so I, I I certainly think we'll see a reduction in the platforms, whether and channels and and streamers. I think you know we know that a lot of channels have been managing a decline anyway, and this massive hit of ad revenue is just going to be the final nail in the coffin. And also, you know, there are already quite a lot of streamers out there. The more I suspect, maybe the, the smaller, more niche ones might struggle. Because it's a because it's a luxury payment, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mind you, six hundred episodes of The Simpsons could uh, could go down very nicely right now on the. Well, this is it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, I, I guess as the final question is, what are the long term effects do you expect on the industry? But I guess that depends whether this is going to be a three week, three months, or eighteen month thing. I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a shaking up, isn't it? It's there's there's going to be a shake up. I think ultimately there will be a shrinking down of of, of players both platforms, channels, producers, because I just think it's going to be very, very difficult for some people to survive it. It will inevitably throw up opportunities as well, and it will it will cause companies big and small to review how they operate and, and, and to look at ways of, of, of being more effective and leaner than they have in the past. 
you know, I think by nature of being a, a business owner, you always have to try and find the opportunity in these scenarios, scenarios, just just in order to survive. And I think that will stand us in good stead for the future, whatever strategies we put in place. Lilla Hurst from Drive. Finally, former Off the Fence and MTV Networks international exec Ludo Dufour was appointed Senior Vice President of International Co-Productions and Sales at Blue Ant International last year and has recently relocated to the US to begin work at the Canadian Factual Specialist's Los Angeles office. C21's Inigo Alexander caught up with him to see how the move was going in the circumstances. So far it's been... Uh... It's been a pretty good experience, actually. Uh, I've indeed been uh, moving to LA recently. So uh, I'm actually talking to you from uh, my Airbnb at the moment. Uh, and house hunting in the time of coronavirus is maybe not an ideal time. But we've made it work quite well. I mean, we're, we're lucky to have amazing internet connections. You can have video conferences with all your clients. You can deliver really large files now via the internet from your own personal internet connection, uh, which has been really, uh, really helpful. And, uh, and I guess we're also in the service industry where most people can just work with their laptop. So as long as they have this resource available at home, whether they're, as far as distribution is concerned, part of the sales team or the finance team or the business affairs team or the operations team, everybody can do that from the comfort of their own home and uh, thanks to their, uh, their broadband connections. So it's actually been okay. I'm grateful that this situation happened now and not 10 or 15 years ago because I think we would have been in a very different situation. Could you tell me a bit about how Blue Ant's approach to um, the ongoing pandemic has been? Did, were you guys keeping a cautious eye on it or have you stepped up the sort of uh, precautionary measures in the last couple of uh, days or weeks as the pandemic's been getting more serious? We've been monitoring the situation very closely from the beginning. We've seen it evolve gradually and, and spread around the world, starting with Asia. We also have businesses in China, in Taiwan, in Singapore. So I think we've been very, um, we, we've noticed what was going on very early on. And we've really tried to um, follow the guidelines of both local authorities, but also um, the CDC, the World Health Organization, and try in order to to constantly adapt our approach um, to the needs of the various countries that we were operating in to make sure that we were protecting our, our employees first, but also really future-proofing our business and making sure that we were making the right decisions in order to um, to keep going considering the circumstances. Yeah, and you mentioned you mentioned uh, Asia there, which is obviously where coronavirus started. Um, how have you seen business with uh, Asian markets or any Asian uh, businesses affected by the spread of the virus? I mean, the, the advantage, although it's a strange word maybe to use, but of um, Asia within this crisis is that they've had previous experiences over the past 20 years, they must have gone through two or three different epidemics, either locally or regionally. So in terms of their response, how quickly they rolled out testing, how equipped they were in terms of the material that they were using within hospitals just to protect the general public, and how prepared they were to face um, the epidemic, I think has allowed them to be able to mitigate the issue and to continue doing business and adapting themselves day by day. So we've, of course, been impacted. However, I think the approach has been very reasonable in Asia. 
and much more forward thinking, both planning for the future and also learning on the experiences on the, of the past. And obviously, MIP TV has, has been cancelled. Series Mania is also a bit in the dust. Um, you know, a slew of other events have, have gone really because of the spread of the virus. How important are these annual markets and these industry events to your business? And how have, how has their disappearance now affected your usual business? We've always had a dual strategy. We would, of course, attend all these various markets throughout the year. But we'd also spend a lot of time meeting our clients face to face in their offices, traveling to their countries in order to spend a bit more time with them than the usual half hour that you spend at the market where you really run through your latest launch list. We would several times a year go and visit our clients in their countries and have this face-to-face -face approach. Now we can't have neither. However, we were still able to connect with a lot of them through video conferencing and through phone meetings. So we've really tried to double down on that in order to continue spending a lot of time with our clients. And rather than really pitch our launch list, we also have a much more solution focused approach with our buyers, really having discussions with them to see how, of course, to present to them what our latest and best is, but also discuss with them what the gaps in programming may be what genres have been impacted and how we can best answer their immediate needs rather than promote uh, all the amazing content that is just coming out of, uh, of production. It's been a, a different approach. We're not, just, we're not just pitching these clients as slots and brands and editorial line. We're really flipping the conversation and, and saying, okay, let us know what you truly need at the moment and we will find solutions to help you fulfill those needs. And so far with that approach, what has been the response from the people you've been doing business with? What are they seeking now that the usual schedules and usual programming has been upended? It will depend on the region and it will depend on the, on the network, on the streamer. But sports content, uh, which is obviously a key driver of our industry, has been badly uh, affected by the situation. Good example that made me laugh over the weekend, laugh with because it's so unique and, and cry because it is so dangerous to a certain um, is the, uh, the Belarus Championship, which is still playing and which is probably one of the only countries in the world which still has a football league ongoing. And, and while it's unclear how long they'll still be playing for you, you would still see stadiums packed and also audiences from around the world who become interested in this league, which they had probably never heard of before. I think that's a great example of how hungry people are for live experiences. So we started considering titles which are sports adjacent or explore sports that people may not have been interested in before. And, and we might be picking up some of that content over the coming weeks, but we also have to bear in mind that what we're experiencing will only affect us temporarily. So we're not going to shift our entire offering to create a new sports genre within our catalog because it's not our core business. So we've looked at other ways to promote our content and, and to fill the needs of the audiences and, and our channels. And I think one, one thing which is obvious at the moment is that families are home together. So we want to pr promote escapism. This is what we've heard 
a lot as well coming from our channels. Optimism shows that bring people together. So we're really putting forward series that are heartwarming, that are educational as well, because a lot of kids are at home and, uh, and are, are being homeschooled. So if, if you can homeschool through entertainment as well as regular lessons with your parents, that's a great way to approach it. And, uh, and shows that are great for co-viewing. So we've got a few series. We've got our Amazing Animal Friends, which is a very positive series. Orangutan Jungle School, which is really heartwarming. Dogs with Extraordinary Jobs. All these are, are series that are perfect for the whole family. But we've also noticed that people spend more time than ever in front of their screens at the moment. So I think the example of how quickly the Tiger King on Netflix, for example, has become part of the global conversation is, uh, is a great demonstration of how, how much people are embracing content at the moment. So we've also been pushing our series, which are great for binge watching. We have an amazing series called Prison, which is multi-award winning. We have another natural history series called Malawi Wildlife Rescue, which is really dramatic. And these are, these are perfect series to just watch one episode after another. And another element which I found was interesting is with people spending so much time at home at the moment, we've also received a lot of requests for home-related content. So whether we're talking about renovation or DIY or design, our home improvement genre within our, our catalog has also, uh, has also received a lot of interest, both from the usual suspects, but also from, uh, from channels which you wouldn't necessarily uh, suspect would, uh, would be interested in that. So we've just received offers for shows like The Brick Retreat or Sarah of the Grid in our catalog, which are doing really well internationally. And yeah, the, the last series that I wanted to mention, which I think is, is perfect for, for this day and age, at a time when lots of young people, and this is, I guess, the, the silver lining of the situation at the moment, there are so many young people who are helping the elderly and protecting them by delivering their shopping or running errands for them. And we've got a, a really cool series called Old School for Lazy Kids, which really highlights those intergenerational dynamics and the importance of learning from one another. And I think at a time when, uh, when different generations are, are looking out for one another, this is a great series for it as well. And I noticed some of the titles that you've mentioned there are, are not necessarily new launches. I think, you know, um, Orangutan Jungle School and such, they, they've been around for quite a while now. Do, do you see the slots opening up because of this, you know, ripping up of schedules and changes in programming? Is this a chance for you to sell more library content? And if so, what does that, how does that affect the, the usual pricing of library content? There is definitely a sense, and, and we've gone through previous suggestions with a lot of our clients, a sense that people will look deeper into the catalog in order to find content that might be suitable replacements for gaps in their programming. However, I would also take this with a pinch of salt. It doesn't mean that networks in particular who have maybe a, a higher need than streamers at the moment because they have a grid to fill, uh, it doesn't mean that they will really go back and consider titles from 2003 in an SD. We're, we're definitely not there yet. But shows which maybe weren't must-have six months ago or channels maybe had an alternative um, or a, a similar show which was in production, which may now be delayed or which might have been cancelled altogether, suddenly there's a good reason to come back to this show that, this show that we've been discussing uh, before and that had been passed on. For them to reconsider it. So we're, we're definitely seeing that and we've had a lot of conversations over the last couple of weeks to see how we could, what, what shows were still available that buyers or commissioners still had in their minds and, and wanted to, uh, to reconsider and see if they were still available. 
have you had to postpone any production on on uh, factual titles or have you had to put some on the shelves and while while the pandemic's ongoing? As of yet, I mean, the, the titles that we're going to be launching at MIPTV are still absolutely fine and will um, will deliver on time. With regards to what we have to be mindful of is what we will have in our catalogue becomes uh, MIPCOMS. I think the, the chance we have in the factual production world is that you can find more creative ways of producing your content, either in regions where if you're shooting in regions where either there is yet a limited impact of the virus or regions that are recovering, you can continue shooting with limited teams. A lot of uh, producers as well are looking at what content is available and was already shot and can be repurposed. And this is also what networks are asking us for. It's what can you now produce in order to guarantee a delivery over the next six months? So our titles, which are just delivering are fine. The titles which are now in post-production and should be delivering within the next three months or so are still fairly unaffected because a lot of this work can also be done from home. What we're now looking at is the next, the following quarter and, uh, and how we will mitigate the impact. And looking ahead, is there any concern from your part that the usual buyers are going to eventually hold back and just look into um, content that they might have shelved in-house or any other uh, catalog content that they might be able to use instead of going out to continue to buy if there's such a you know such an economic question mark hanging over the industry as the pandemic goes on is that a concern for you i think a lot of clients are looking at how to maximize their inventory at the moment so this has also been one of our approaches is to proactively reach out to our clients and let them know these are the shows that you have from us which are under license. Would you like uh, and are about to expire? Would you like to renew those because you've got them in-house? So it's a pretty easy way of approaching it. We've also reached out to them to let them know this is what you've been licensing from us in the past and this is what we think might still be relevant so you could relicense. So this is also another way to use their inventory. So I think it's all about collaborating with them and making sure that we provide the solutions that they need. It's an important time for distributors because we have, we have a, a dual role to play. On one hand, we can help producers in these difficult times by providing them with a steady cash injection as a result of royalty payments for the content that we're selling to channels. And we're also helping channels who have delays with their production with finished content acquisition to help them continue providing fresh and interesting content to their audiences. So um, we have a lot of work to do at the moment. How, in how long term are you planning? Are you taking it quarter by quarter, month by month? How long do you foresee the usual business, so to say, affected by uh, pandemic? It's, it's hard to say because the, it will all depend on the government's decisions and, and also how beyond what the various governments are saying in various countries, how people themselves react and, and confine and try to stop this spread. So we're, we really, we've got different approaches depending on the timeline. Um, so we're definitely thinking about the next few weeks already and how to really mitigate the risk on our business by making the right decisions for the next few weeks. But we also have to start planning ahead to see where our content pipeline will come from and what choices we should be making in terms of our investments for the shows that we will want to launch at Midcom or before. So those decisions, while 
we might have been more likely to invest in shows that were in production before in the form of gap financing, for example. We're now refocusing our efforts on shows that have already been shot, that might already be in post-production, in order to also make sure that those will deliver on time for us to be able to offer them within six months' time. I guess just to finish off on a bit of a lighter note, um, I've been told that you are a, ma a man of music. Are you going to DJ at uh, Club C21 down in Cannes? <laughs> uh, I was just wondering if, if you could share what's been on your isolation playlist while you've been working from home. What has been keeping you sane while you try and keep business going as normally as possible? Uh, yeah, I, uh, I have to say this is one of the reasons why I'm so sad also that... Uh, MIP TV is not taking place because it's one of the highlights of my year. But uh, <laughs> I, uh, I still, uh, I still regularly uh, make uh, mixes available online. And there's there's one song that's just starting the the last one, which is called "In My Arms" uh, by Purple Disco Machine that I've been uh, I've been listening on uh, on repeat uh, recently because I think. Uh, the moment when we'll all be able to celebrate all together in a room with good music, dancing together, will be a, will be a true sign that all this uh, tragedy is behind us and we can finally move forward as a society. I look forward to having all my friends in my arms again. Ludo Defour talking to Inigo Alexander. Not from La Croisette, but an Airbnb somewhere in Los Angeles. We wish you all the best, Ludo, and all those we'd normally see in Cannes. Our C21 arms reach out across the airwaves to embrace you also. But that's all for today's show. Remember, if you'd like to share your story of coping with COVID-19 with the international TV business, email us using the address press at c21media.net and one of our journalists will get back to you. There'll be more from the podcast tomorrow, but in the meantime, stay safe and stay up to date with all the latest industry developments by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.